we raise our Bible, whatever form it is, this book is my all-sufficient guide for faith and conduct. Are we ready? Because convinced the living water changes everything one life at a time. Amen. Amen. Well, it is a privilege, again, to have these missionaries with us. We're going to first invite uh, Paul Dobson to come, and then we'll invite Steve and Debbie. We're going to allow them a little bit of a format for them to share what God is doing in their life, in their ministry. And then after Steve and Debbie come up, we'll have a format where you are able to ask some questions. I'll read them. We'll interact a little bit. It's going to be a great time. It is a different service. But be encouraged, North Lake. And here, as we move toward next week, next week we're going to be taking faith promise pledges. Next week we're going to be talking about, about uh, uh, what we might be involved in for this coming year for missions. Many of you are already doing a faith promise pledge. I want to thank you. You have been faithful, you have been more than faithful this year, and we have been able to write checks for missionaries that have been in need around the world that are over and above our missions pledges because of your giving. That's a great sign, that is a wonderful thing, so I want to encourage you, if you've never made a missions pledge, consider doing it. I'm telling you, you're going to hear this week from missionaries where you'll know that Assembly God Missions is absolutely the finest missionary organization on the field that are reaching people for Jesus Christ. All right, with that being said, Paul Dobson, would you get ready to come? God bless you as you do. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> I get to entertain you with the clicker today. I am so excited to be here, and I am especially thrilled for those of you who met my wife, who might know my wife, and you have reluctantly or excitedly decided to accept me as well. So you, many of you may remember, you know, she was uh, an appointed missionary already in Cambodia when we met in Thailand at a missions conference, brown water rafting, elephant, elephant riding, and uh, things went really well, and God, God was good. And now our ministry, I mean, our family has expanded to three kids, and all of them were born uh, next door to Cambodia and Thailand in, in Bangkok. So we have Ian, who's seven, Noah, who's five, and Emma, who is three, going on 13. Can any of you relate to that? Yeah. She is not bossy. She has leadership skills. Okay? That's, that's what we're saying. That's what we're saying. <laughs> But uh, it's been a real thrill to have them come to this foreign country of America, as, as Emma calls it. And uh, they are starting to, to understand and appreciate America, that you, on Fridays at school you wear blue shirts with the word Seahawks on them, um, that uh, you get food through a window, dad just has to give a little plastic card to the person, and then they give you food. It's really exciting. But they are also getting a vision for being missionaries here. And that was one of our big concerns in, the, in kind of the traumatic uprooting of coming to America for Emma for the first time. But God has been working in their hearts, and we experienced our five-year-old, his first week in kindergarten, 
where he came to school, and on the way to school, he said, Dad, we're really blessed. And I was like, really? Why? And he said, well, first we got to be missionaries in Cambodia, and next we get to be missionaries in Malaysia, but now we get to be missionaries in America in kindergarten. And as he walked into to school, he met Xander, and he said, Zand, uh, yeah, a classmate in Karen, he said, Xander, do you believe in God? And Xander said, uh, no, but I believe in ninjas. <laughs> and I heard Noah say, no, I mean the one true God. And as they went into the, into the classroom, I heard him asking Xander, Xander, do you read the Bible? And I would have loved to follow that conversation, but he continues to pray for Xander every night that he would come to, to know God. And it's pretty cool to see how God has instilled kind of the missionary vision in them as well. Well, if you haven't met Larissa, Larissa is action and compassion personified. And as we got married, we were praying and asked God for a verse to kind of summarize, you know, uh, what we would do in, in ministry and be a place we could go back to when we, when we got frustrated or might despair. And the first part of um, the verse we found in Proverbs says, rescue the perishing. Don't hesitate to step in and help. If you say, hey, that's none of my business, will that get you off the hook? Someone is watching you closely. You know, God is not impressed with weak excuses. And so that is what Larissa does. She tackles injustice head on with the power of the Holy Spirit in Cambodia and now um, in the future in, Cambo in, in Malaysia. And one of the things that you helped us to, to develop in this area was Sparrow's Nest. And um, is it now a day shelter that is um, an alternate uh, place for homeless children to come to um, who have been uh, sold daily into the, the, the sex industry in Cambodia. And I won't elaborate because of the, the age of, of people here, but um, it's up and running. Thank you. And we thank you for your ongoing support and prayer support. And when we ask for prayer for divine appointments... God comes through, and we thank you for praying for that. One example was when uh, a girl named Sung Kum, one of Larissa's good friends, and she was uh, on staff with us uh, once a week. They would uh, have a presentation at the different corners of northern Phnom Penh, where we live in the capital of Cambodia. And um, they would rotate the staff who would make a presentation. And so there was, on these one of these alternate weeks, Srey uh, Mom uh, was giving a 10-minute window on hygiene. And as she was presenting on hygiene, this 18-year-old girl, we found out later, came running up to, to Sreimom, just squealing with delight, okay? Just like the sound that girl, I can't, I can't go up this high. But girls, if you're girls here, can you make the sound that you make if you were to wake up and you see 600 presents on Christmas morning, all for you? What sound would you make? Can you squeal for me? Yeah, see, I can't go there. I, I would damage something up here in my head. <laughs> but she, she let out this squeal, Larissa said, and they, they embraced. And, and Larissa was like, well, we're doing a presentation. Come on over. What's going on? And she said, I can't believe it. Nine years ago, my neighbor, um, the mom died, and, and this girl disappeared. And I've been trying to find her for nine years. And she's just come here. And, and she told me that nine years ago, she had been sold by that neighbor to a different places around Cambodia and to, to the border with Thailand. And, and she just said she was in a place here in town, and she found out that the next day she was going to be sent back to, to Thailand. And she said, I would rather things end running than to go back to Thailand because of what happened there. And as she's running through the town of Phnom Penh, running through the streets, she passes the cor street corner 
where her friend, her neighbor from 10 years ago, was giving a 10-minute window on hygiene on an alternate weekend, recognized her. They connected, and now she is safe and secure in a, in a Christian facility for, for girls in her situation, and her life is being redeemed. Amen? God is all about making those divine connections. And now we're excited to, to transfer to... Um, one country below us, the country of Malaysia, and we're going to be, I have a picture of it here for you. So that's a picture of Sunkum. Um, go back. So we're going to be on the far left edge over there in a place called um, Georgetown. But the town we're going to live in is next to Georgetown, and it's called Tanjunbunga. So I need all the boys who are here to, on the count of three to say Tanjunbunga for me. Ready? One, two, three. Tanjunbunga. Oh, yeah. Doesn't that sound adventurous? It means peninsula of flowers, but it sounds more cool when, you know, you say Tanjumbunga. And uh, so just, uh, we'd like to show a quick video clip since Larissa can't be here of what um, her ministry will be like there. If we can help in the back to, to start that. Thank you. In 2011, we found two little girls living on the street with their grandma. Their father abandoned them, and their mother, Chanti, thought that she would be able to provide for her family by leaving her children in the care of her mother and taking a job through a company working as a maid in Malaysia. Although she would be separated from her girls, she hoped that she would be able to send money back to Cambodia to care for them. But after arriving in Malaysia, the mother had her passport confiscated by her employers, was sold from one family to another, and was physically and sexually abused. She ran away to escape, but had no passport no local contacts, and no way to get home to Cambodia, and had to sell herself to survive. Her mother and two children in Cambodia didn't know what had happened to her, but with no money coming in, they ended up living on the streets in Phnom Penh. Unfortunately, Chanti's story is not uncommon. Girls as young as 13 are recruited to be maids in other countries. They are looking for a way to make a living and help their families, but often find themselves subjected to a form of modern slavery. Many end up being sexually and physically abused by their employers, and some even end up being forced to work in the sex industry. Too often, these girls end up with no passport, pregnant, and unable to get home. We will be living in Malaysia, one of the top countries these young Cambodian women and girls are sent to. And with your partnership, I want to help these victims get back home and plugged into local churches in Cambodia so that they can reintegrate into their life with their families. So we're excited to introduce God into each girl's life to restore her dignity and to redeem her future. And we're excited about that. The second part of that theme verse for us talks about what I get to do. And it says, eat honey, dear child. It's good for you. And delicacies that melt in your mouth. That's my ministry for you is sampling food from around the world. No, I'm just kidding. The, the next part relates to it. But actually, I must say, if you are interested in how our two boys eat fried tarantula and fight over it, Please come to the table afterwards, and I have a video clip there of the, the boys doing that. Not our daughter, that's beneath her, but that's the boys. But the next part talks about what I get to do. Likewise, knowledge and wisdom for your soul. Get that, and your future secured. Your hope is on solid rock. And have, I had the opportunity to grow up as a missionary kid in Sri Lanka, India, and Egypt. And now I get to use all of those experiences and the way God's worked through me to be a school counselor at uh, schools for missionary kids. 
and um, also to support MKs who are being homeschooled. And so we're, we are connect with MKs from uh, Afghanistan all the way down to the, to the South Pacific who are doing homeschooling. And I have a, a quick, uh, a brief video to show you a little bit more about that ministry. I'm a missionary kid myself. So I was born in Sri Lanka and grew up in India and Egypt. That makes me also a third culture kid. A third culture kid is one who has grown up for a good portion of his developmental years in a culture other than his parents. It means not being fully a part of where you're growing up, but not being fully a part of where you came from. But that means that he's got his parents' culture, the culture he is growing up in, and he will take in parts of each of those cultures and make them part of who he is, but he doesn't totally fit into either culture. And being that kid who's kind of in limbo has a lot of challenges. Those third culture kids are going through more experiences of change and new experiences and saying goodbye than most people go through in a lifetime. And they do that all in the space of their growing up developmental years. There are issues that come to the fore, such as for children, where do I belong? Um, there, can be a, there can be a sense in which, oh, I don't belong here. I don't really belong here. Where do I belong? You as a parent are sitting back and saying, you know, God, you called me to these people. I want to help, but I have children. If I'm worried about my children, um, forget trying to navigate the nuances of language and cross-cultural relationships. My kids need me. We can invest in a missionary who will be on the front line, but if we don't have the backup support for that missionary, then we are wasting our money because they're going to come, come back home. And so anything we can do to help kids adapt better, fit in better, is a great blessing. Many times God answered my prayers as a third culture kid in just dynamic ways. And all of those experiences with God helped to instill in me a vision to reach out to this very um, special group of kids that are often uh, overlooked. Having someone available that the kids can go to, the children can go to, to talk to, to be there to support, to, who understands the issues, which Paul very much does, is very valuable to us as parents. Paul understands because he is a third culture kid. He has been through it. It's exciting to have someone like Paul with his type of caliber and background here, for sure. We want to see third culture kids reached with the gospel and discipled so that they can experience God in their own personal way and find out how they can be used by God in this unique experience that they have of growing up amongst all these cultures. Now what good would it do to uh, reach a whole country and lose the children of our missionaries? You're not just giving to Paul's ministry, you're actually giving to all the different mission families in the mission community that Paul is involved with. Because the kid is happy, the parents are happy, the parents are happy, the mission gets done. He enables us to be doing what we're doing for the Kingdom of God here in Cambodia and many other families in the mission community as well. Wow, I, I have to agree that I, it seems like when the, when the MKs thrive, the parents can thrive, the families can thrive, and when those th families thrive, their ministry thrives, and, and the word can get out. And it's exciting to be a part of that. I thank you for your partnership in that and allowing uh, me to be there for the MKs to, to be at that juncture when they need someone to talk to, to be available to them. And, you know, just in, in closing, I want to say that if there, you know, the Holy Spirit is the main reason for us being able to continue doing this as long as we have. 
and to the level, but a large part of that has been become because at certain junctures, you can imagine the type of work that we do has a lot of trauma involved and a lot of, a lot of pain and a lot of dark stuff. And um, I, I just want to embarrass Stephen Debbie Alsup and, and MRI Missionary uh, Resources International because they have come alongside us at those moments of need. And they have equipped us and supported us and been there and loved on us with agape love and, and brought truth into our life at, at, at crucial moments. And they've done that for missionaries all around the world. And I thank you for your partnership, and I thank them for their partnership with us as well. God bless you. Thank you, Paul. Good morning, church. That's kind of weak, wasn't it, Jill? Good morning, church. It is great to be with you. Debbie and I, we can stand up there. You can go up there. I'll come up with you. Yeah. Debbie and I are excited to be here at North Lake Church just to be able to get acquainted. Actually, we're finding out we're acquainted with some of you already. Uh, unbelievable. It's, it must be our age, Debbie. But uh, we are Steve and Debbie Alsup. We're going to share with you a little bit about uh, what life is for us in terms of our missionary service right now. But uh, I'm going to let Debbie talk first. And then uh, what she doesn't say, then I will complete it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for just what this what you are doing in missions. And I just want to thank you for your faithfulness and keeping those pledges to your missionaries and sending out people like the Dobsons and just for what you're doing. Thank you so much and uh, for your faithfulness. And, uh, you know, when we left for the field, we had a seven-month-old baby and a two-year-old, two and now we have five grandkids. <laughs> So time does go by quickly. But I want to thank God for his faithfulness. And I just want to praise his name this morning and thank him for the transformation that we saw in people's lives over the 25 years that we were missionaries in Latin America. And for just the lives that we saw changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to thank him for that. And it's because of people like you who pray for your missionaries. And I just want to say, that is the most important thing. I know that, you know, the financial support is important, but your prayer support is everything. And I just want to say that from the bottom of my heart. Please pray for your missionaries daily and remember them. Thank you so much. And um, boy, it's good to be here. I just love Jill and and Brian, we had so much fun last night and just breaking bread together, and it was neat. Really enjoyed it. And uh, so thank you for having us here, and God bless each one of you. Oh, I have to say thank you, Paul. Also, Paul ministered to our kids when they were MKs and growing up on the field, and he understood them. And so we've known Paul for a long time, and uh, we uh, believe in what you guys are doing. Bless you. Thank you, baby. We just want to get acquainted and just, um, we're going to have questions and answers in a little while, so we can, you can maybe ask some questions uh, that we are not covering, but just to kind of, you know, connect with you a little bit. Um, I like to think of a missions week like this as really reinforcing a partnership. And, and 
sometimes it's easy to think of missionaries, you know, those people that go out there and we give offerings. And I remember once uh, hosting a team from uh, Midland, Michigan, and down in, in Panama. We were, we were 25 years in both Panama and Costa Rica, and I was hosting them. And uh, one of the ladies uh, who experienced that trip to the very end wrote me a note back, and she says, you know what? One of the most ex awesome experiences of my life because I begin to see that missions was more than putting money in an offering basket. And that's what I hope you will discover today. It is not just about knowing what other people do. But missions must touch our heart. I was excited because I think it was the person making my coffee who said this morning, this is the highlight of my year is the missions week because it is a time of challenge. It's a time of renewing what God is doing in the world. And I hope that you will feel that. You've got some great people coming. Now it's going to be ended with the Paredes. We got to be with them a few weeks ago and it's just awesome. You don't want to miss a moment. It is really not about telling our story. It's about telling his story that we get to be a part of and you get to be a part of. And so I want you to embrace this week just as this is, this is what God wants to say. And I know there's going to be specific missionaries with specific stories, but you need to be saying, God, what do you want me to do? I'm looking at some of these kids here, and I'm saying, wow, what an incredible resource. Now I'm looking at parents who are saying, no, don't talk to my kids. I don't want them going to another country. But at the same time, I know what it means to be a teenager called to go to the mission field. And I know what it means to carry that out. You see, when God calls and we say yes, there's nothing better in the world but to fulfill that. Not everybody gets to go, but everybody gets to partner in what God is doing in the world. Thank you, Paul, for uh, what you do. Yeah, Paul was actually at one point, and he didn't really say this, he was in charge of the uh, program for all missionary kids of the Assemblies of God for the whole world. And he was sharing with me earlier, he, he got a little surprise this last week by being in a church of one of his former MKs down in, in another state. And that was just an awesome experience for him. Anyway, after 25 years of ministry in Latin America, Debbie and I are making a shift. Uh, we're 62 now. I guess you make shifts when you start getting to 62, right? So, uh, <laughs> but we're making a shift. And we're changing our focus so we can be a part of helping missionaries who are, who are out there. And uh, let me explain. How many have ever, and maybe you can identify with me a little bit. How many have ever had stress in your life before? Just raise your hand. Well, about half of you have had stress. Some of you don't want to admit it, Right? We all have had stress. Some of you have been able to see missionaries that go out to the field and you realize some of the additional stressors that come into their life. Things like learning another language, learning another culture. And those, believe it or not, are kind of the, the simple ones. Debbie and I, when we were in Costa Rica, we actually changed from Panama to Costa Rica to develop and set up the new language school for the Assemblies of God missionaries for the Spanish-speaking people, so Spanish-speaking missionaries. And so we went into that. So for many years, we worked with the mission, all the missionaries going to the Spanish-speaking world as their pastors. And uh, one of the things we watched that whole year, I tell you about this, learning another language and another culture can take its toll. It's not easy. Uh, by the way, kids, learn all the language you can when you go to school, okay? Take some Spanish, take some German, maybe take some Italian, whatever. Learn some other languages. It'll be really awesome. But, you know, missionaries go to the field, learn, they, they, they have additional stressors. You add on to that family. We're just talking about family. Kids, right? Now you raise your kids in another culture. 
Ah, thank the Lord, ours came out pretty good, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but, you know, it's an it's, it's, it's additional thing. Stress on mar marriages, you know, because you've got your ministry and you're, you're doing things and stress on marriages. Now they're telling you to work with all the other missionaries in that country. You know, they didn't, you didn't choose to work with those, but they're there. You have to work with them, right? And now they say, now work with the national church. And that national church has a real big, you know, what it's all about. And you've got to work with them. And you just keep adding and adding and adding to that. I like to think of it as stress on steroids, okay? And part of what Debbie and I are doing is you will he, see, and by the way, we'll give you a, we have a very few contact cards. I had a senior moment. Now I'm 62. Had a senior moment and put all of our, see how that nice table that Paul has back there? Our, our, all of our stuff was left in the garage at our house, okay? And so I apologize. We have like, we scrambled through my briefcase and Debbie's purse, and we have 32 of these. So if you're lucky, you can get one of those. We're going to send some more. We're going to send some more here, okay? So anyway, so you can take a contact card. And you'll notice what it says, Steve and Debbie also caring for world changers. Let me tell you what that's about. You just heard just before me a world changer, Paul and Larissa, saying yes to the Lord are out changing the world. Could you identify with the need of those, those kids? You mean, it's just like overwhelming. And you're just, you, you know, but to jump in the middle of, of young girls who are, uh, who are um, uh, being taken advantage of, and to jump in the middle of that and find a way to help them is an amazing thing. You're changing the world. When we get to eternity, we'll know how much really took place because... One life can transfer to hundreds of people coming to Christ. And it's an amazing thing. Paul, who is working with, with the third culture kids, is going to one third culture kid's life turned around can make a difference of thousands of people coming to know Jesus Christ. Debbie and I have entered into a new, um, new phase where we're walking with missionaries. And what we're doing, we care are caring for world changers. We're caring for the missionaries. I got a, I am not even, are you changing? Oh, good. I, I didn't, I forgot all about that. You help me back there, okay? And you help me back there. We're caring for world changers. World changers are those that are really going out and making a difference. And in the middle of their stressful relationships, sometimes they get, believe it or not, you feel like throwing in the towel. Anybody ever feel like throwing in the towel sometimes? Yeah, we just get, it's just tough. It's tough. We're a part of a ministry called MRI, or it's Ministry Resources and Missionary Renewal of the Asia Pacific. It started like 18 years ago under Jack, Dr. Jack Roselle, who work on that team. You probably have met Jim and Sally Kahn. We're joining that team to walk alongside missionaries. We're based in Kirkland, and we have missionaries that come from all over the world to spend some time with us. We will usually have a minimum of two weeks, very intensive weeks, where we're able to walk with them and help them to deal with a lot of the stresses that they are incurring while they're on the field. And maybe not even understand how to work through those things. We are experienced missionaries, so when they, when they look into my eyes and they say, Steve, I'm experiencing this, and I can say, I understand. As soon as I say I understand, they can breathe because I do understand. So we who are involved in that are involved in helping missionaries. Now, why would you want to support a missionary helping missionaries? Because, you know, there's a lot of reasons why. One of them could be just to know that when you invest in a missionary, it's a big investment. And every one of those missionaries have been called by God. I don't have any doubt of that. And if they threw in the towel, 
They, pro they would not be fulfilling what God wants them to do. So we are there to help them. And I can tell you from, I've, I've been involved now for a year and a half, so I'm actually itinerating and I'm doing this, so I'll be back teaching tomorrow and I'll be with missionaries tomorrow. But um, I can tell you the greatest joy is to see those who come in and are just desperate and to, to, to then say, Steve, get me back to the field. Yeah? I'm ready to go. Let me tell you a story. And this was kind of exciting because Debbie and I, to be, we stepped away for several years from our appointment. So the new rule is if you want to be reappointed, you got to go through the whole process just like a brand new missionary. So we had to go back to Springfield for our interview time. And uh, Debbie and I walked into the cafeteria at the Assemblies of God caf uh, headquarters. And we're sitting there eating. And all of a sudden, over to the side, I hear, Steve, Debbie. And I thought, who is that? You know, and, this, and, and I turned around, and I won't say the name. She said I could use her name, but it's a, a missionary. And she says, what are you guys doing here? And I said, well, we're here to be interviewed, and we're hoping to be reappointed to be able to work with MRAP, MRI. And she says, awesome. I go, well, okay. And uh, she says, let me tell you, that ministry saved our lives. I said, well, explain. She says, well, it got to a point with so much of the stress and so much of the things going on, I didn't know if I could go a step further. And she, she's very demonstrative. In fact, she said, she, she stood there and she says, you know, I walked into the office there in Kirkland. She says, and she says, I was just, it was like I was dragging my leg behind me. I didn't know what to do. She said, but it wasn't long that I realized the place I came was a place of acceptance and love and people who understood me. And that's all I needed. And she used a term that I'll never forget because I've never heard anybody use it. She says, but while I was there, within a few days, I realized I was wrapped in a cocoon of love. And she says, that cocoon of love is what changed our lives and what saved us. You think it's worth investing in helping missionaries go? Yes. And it was so exciting. She, she said, you can tell my story. I said, well, I won't give you your name. But I wonder, it was so encouraging for Debbie and I because we see that there is such important time for us. We want you to be a part and partner with us through prayer and support of caring for the world changers. I... Uh, I'm challenged by just thinking of the people. And one of the things I like to do is just think of the people who are out there. I, I recently, when we were back in Springfield in the, in the summertime, I met people who are on their way to different parts of the world, Mongolia, hearing their story. And I thought, God, how could a pastor in Ohio be called to go to Mongolia where he's going to teach young pastors how to raise pigs? And ultimately, you take that and they get involved in a school, and they bring a whole bunch of kids from Mongolia to the United States to experience life in the States, and among them are the children of the president of Mongolia. A pastor in Ohio ends up there, ends up bringing kids to be exposed to the gospel in the United States, and they're the children of the leaders of a country. Only God can do that, right? Those are world changers. I was listening to the story of a, of a couple on their way. They're actually from Yugoslavia reg, originally, came and were immigrants here. He was in a, working in a menial job in Florida, picking oranges. Did not know Jesus. 
and he had a little radio and he wanted to learn some English and so he was doing this as an immigrant and he has his radio on and somehow the radio station got on to uh, Chuck uh, Swindoll and he said, I'm going to learn a little English and he starts listening to that and in the middle of the orchard, he gets called to the ministry, well, gets saved, called to the ministry. And I met Peter and Jana in Springfield going back to the eastern part of Europe to share the gospel with their people. Only God can do that. Is it worth to partner? Yes. God is doing amazing things. God wants to use you in ways you can't even imagine. So open your heart this week. Open your life to what God wants to do. Thank you for partnering with us. We love you, and it's great to be here at North Lake Church. God bless you. Oh, before you come, how many kids have this? How many kids? Are you, anybody on ours? You, wanna, you want the bonus part down there? Anybody get the bonus part? Okay, where else uh, were they missionaries at? Anybody get that one yet? Costa Rican, yeah, you got it, Costa Rica, <laughs> Panama, okay, and they're missionaries to where, we're kind of to the world, right, kind of to the world, but you can put MRI, MRAP there, right, uh, you can tell the other things on there, I think you can figure those out, if you need help, I'll help you out, okay, go Paul. So at this time, if I could have a couple of my ushers, could you go around the, ta the tables, and if you have written any kind of a question, would you please hand them in? Anybody that has written a question that you have that you would like to ask? Anybody? Go around to the tables, check. I hope that you have been interacting and thinking possibly of questions to, to ask, because now's the time. We have already just... Uh, uh, been blessed, uh, and uh, I have some questions that I specifically would like to ask them because I know, I totally understand that uh, one of the things that is important to us at North Lake because one of our core values is financial integrity, that when we give, we're wanting to make sure that, that uh, people that we are giving to, as far as our best of their ability, they're using it for the glory of God. I can tell you as your under pastor that uh, I cannot think of another organization that I am, uh, that I would be more proud to be a part of that is evangelistically reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ than the assemblies of God. And uh, I will tell you that your your funds are doing more to get actually on the field. They're very uh, good about how they disperse those funds. Uh, and uh, so uh, that's some of the things that I can tell you. I've got some questions to spe specifically answer them. And here's your first question. Okay. And this is a great question, by the way. And if you have any others, now's the time to ask. So you're not too late. Write down and, and ask a question. But here's your first question. Is it hard to be a missionary? I'll let you answer it first, Paul. Is it hard to be a missionary? Oh, good question. There are times when it is very, very difficult. There are a lot of times when it is absolutely amazing. But yes, it, it is true. There are certain things that are, that are hard. Um, probably the, the hardest things from, from our perspective would be you know, um, family-related, being away from family for, for such lengths. 
Um, and uh, we have one, I have one brother who does international work and he's a frequent visitor to us. And so our kids know Uncle Didi very well. And, um, and but yeah, that's probably the hardest part is, is family. Um, not getting high quality reception of Seahawks games online <laughs> is a challenge, but you know, God comes through. And uh, no, but I think family would be would be hard. There are some hard things, uh, mostly just missing family, that connection, but lots of amazing things to balance. So there are trade offs, you know, um, and I think the, the positive trade offs outweigh the negative. But at times, yeah, it is hard. I think for for us, for our family, one of the hardest times for us was um, during a time of political unrest. And when one feels that their security is at risk a little bit. And uh, I remember uh, we were in Panama during uh, the time that Manuel Antonio uh, or Man Noriega was in power. And um, that's when the U.S. came in and um, there was fighting on our street. And in fact, I remember Steve could saw tracer bullets go past the kitchen window and I remember he walked in and put my head down like this. And our girls lived in the closet for three days because that was some place where they could sleep and live. We just threw a bunch of Barbie dolls in there. And uh, they were eight and 10 and they were there for three days because we didn't want them near a window where a bullet could come in. And they had a word, a code word, uh, for taking, a, we had a ladder hidden in the backyard. We didn't own guns, and we had a ladder hidden in the backyard, and they had a code word of putting up the, if we said, you know, ladder, you were to run outside, don't wait for us, and put the ladder up, and we had bread hidden and water and supplies. And so, you know, we had our plan, but the Lord was with us, and we were okay through that. Yep. Amen. Amen. Uh, I, I'm going to ask a question, um, because you guys not only experience other Assembly God missionaries while you're on the field, you experience uh, other missional organizations as well as groups that are coming in to do a two-week or a one-week. Could you, could you tell me what is the difference in, in us who would be giving uh, and wanting to see the work of the Lord go forward, uh, and, and I know that it's a little bit, uh, uh, you're an AG missionary, but from what you see on the field, because I'll, I'll tell them, because I hear it all the time, what do people say, and what is it that makes uh, an Assembly God missionary different from other organizations? Well, I think, um, you know, the added dimension well, f first of all, we're blessed. Like, I get to minister to missionary kids and families this last school uh, from 34 different countries. So they're all with these, you know, like 17 different mission organizations that have arrived. And they're like, oh, you're providing for our kids. We didn't expect. This is amazing. Um, so we get to experience, you know, all different. And when people come, and Assemblies of God ministers should be, and I believe we are similar in this way, where we're led by the Holy Spirit, um, that's when the dynamic stuff happens. You know, the stuff that's beyond our control that, that come. And when teams come, you mentioned teams come, and when, 
we have Assemblies of God, uh, short-term teams come. We had a team of 19-year-olds, okay? 19-year-olds are amazing. They came, they told us, they're from Georgia. They said, we have prayed and fasted for 30 days for this trip. We're like, whoa, I can't remember the last time I did that. I didn't say that out loud. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> whoa, okay. And they're 19, you know? And they said, this guy, two weeks ago, he was praying and he said, God told me that I'm supposed to pray for some kid in, at Sparrow's Nest who has one arm two inches shorter than the other. And the, the hair on the back of my wife's neck and I, you know, our necks went up because our son, second son, Noah, who's five, was born with congenital hemiplegia, which means he had a stroke in the womb and one side of his body, the muscles lagged behind the other and God's been gradually healing him. Well, it, in February, he had had a big growth spurt, one arm, became two inches longer than the other. And this, and we're like, we don't know of any kids at Sparrow's Nest. We think you're supposed to pray for our son. And they're like, all right, can we pray for him right now? You know, we're like in this massive restaurant, crowded, everything. You know, like, go for it. So we, they prayed for him, and uh, we went home. That, that night, Larissa measured out his arms, and they had grown out. God had healed him. And he, it was amazing. He was old enough at five to realize, whoa, God healed me. And to hear this 19-year-old, what he called a big kid, you know, had prayed and fasted, which meant going without Cheerios, you know, and stuff. Noah was just like, seriously, American cereal? You didn't eat any? You know, and, and um, it, it was such a faith builder. And that's the kind of stuff when, when people, you know, even 19-year-olds are, are seeking the, the, the Lord and the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, and they respond, and they're brave, and they step forward with what God's told them. That's kind of this added, you know, powerful dimension that is so exciting to experience on the field. Excellent. Let me respond a little bit in, in what Paul's saying is just the fact that we are um, Holy Spirit-led as missionaries is a huge thing. Uh, we, we worked, uh, when we worked for the language school, when we were in the language school, we realized that in Latin America, about 75% of all evangelicals are Pentecostal. Okay, so it, it is really an amazing thing because there were a lot of other organizations working, but they were uh, not of the Pentecostal persuasion. So there is this, the, the, the Pentecostal message is a strong message, and it works. It's, it, it's in that part of the world Amen. that people understand the power of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely catch a hold of that. In terms of just the, the there's, an, there's a level with the AGW, some of have got a, of accountability uh, that's really important. Um, we... We realize that we are part of an organization that you're a part of that really does support the missionaries and that there is uh, the best use of the finances is critical. We are accountable to, with lots of reports, uh, Paul, right? <laughs> lots of reports, but we're very much accountable to invest that wisely. But, you know, beyond that, the Holy Spirit takes the, the, the gospel uh, that you're willing to go out and share and multiplies it in, in amazing ways. It's awesome. Yeah. And one of the things that I realize that all of you realize, we can get on a website and at the click of the button, we can be at a hundred different places around the world and you can be involved in a hundred different projects. What I will tell you is the importance of having a missionary that is actually planted yeah boots on the ground that when you or an organization leaves after two weeks, you don't just have a flash in the pan and go home and we all feel good about it. 
and the work doesn't carry on. You go to a place where the work is happening and the work is continuing, and that is a wise investment, just like the 19-year-old that went over made that investment. That is an investment that will have many, many more years of return. That is the power of, uh, uh, I will say, and the, the privilege that we have of being a part of the assemblies of God, and it's an awesome thing. Okay, here's a great question. What do you do if the country you are going to, the people don't welcome you back? Or the government doesn't welcome you back? Wow, that's a, that's a tough one. You know, sometimes it involves, um, you know, if they, they don't actually allow you to, to come into the country to, to pray for some kind of creative experience to happen, um, you know, when we were trying to first go to, to India, the government said, um, no, you will never get a missionary visa to live here. And so my, my parents, um, I had just been born, they finally gave up on, on India, and they're like, well, I guess God wants us to go. So they were, the next opening was Iran in the 70s. Any of you old-timers like me would know or beyond what happened in the 70s in Iran. And um, so we did one last layover in in Calcutta, uh, in India, and uh, my mom and brother got sick with amoebic dysentery, couldn't get out of bed, we missed the flight, my dad was stressed, he was a martial arts guy, he went to go work out, the head of the workout facility for judo and, and these martial arts um, asked dad what he wanted to do there, he said, I want to work with drug addicts and youth, and he said, wow, okay, and so my dad went home, got a call, it was the chief of police for West Bengal. And he said, I know who you are, where you are, don't go anywhere, I'll be there in 15 minutes. He arrived and he said, I've just been visiting with my friend who runs a judo, you know, karate facility. He tells me, you want to work with drug addicts and you're a martial arts expert. My dad said, yes. He said, I need someone to train my police right away. They're being attacked by communists. If you'll train my police uh, in the mornings, um, I'll protect you. I can't give you a visa, but I'll allow you to stay. And so for eight years, we never had government support a visa to be there but the chief of police of the state of west bengal guaranteed us to be there Praise and we the got Lord. to have dynamic ministry great so sometimes Amen. creative yes there are, there are no shut doors sometimes uh they may shut the door of the government but that's maybe a timing issue and maybe god has another way of opening the doors there are no shut doors amen praise the lord okay what food do you eat this may be a little bit uh back but what food do you eat Well, I love food from other countries, from all different countries. But one of the foods that we eat a lot are rice and beans. <laughs> but it's called gallo pinto, which means painted rooster. And it's what we eat for breakfast with eggs. And so it's rice and beans with all kinds of vegetables fried up in it, and it's delicious. When I want to go to my happy place, I go for Indian food. Um, and, uh, yeah, but also, you know, the Asian food is amazing, but when we're in Asia, we dream about, um, Latin food, especially Mexican food. We can't, we can't get it there. So, um, all kinds of amazing things. If you come to Penang where we're moving, we found out it's a United Nations world heritage, <coughs> world, sorry, world, <laughs> sorry. I know, it, it chokes me up too. It's, it's exciting. It's <laughs> um, United Nations World Heritage Site 
not for any buildings or temples or anything, but for the food. Please come and do research with us to further answer that question. Sorry, Paul. Okay. Uh, here's a, a one for Paul and one for the Alsips. What are some of your biggest cultural differences for your kids and for you as a parent? Well, I must say, uh, I can tell you stories if you come directly as grown-ups to the booth but um, afterwards. But um, probably the way um, children are viewed in Cambodia is very different to the way they're viewed here. Whereas children are kind of for your benefit um, as, as, as grown-ups and not the other way around. And so that's a, that's a big challenge. And so a large part of what we've tried to do is to show from Scripture that Jesus really values children. You know, if God himself values children, then we could, that opens all kinds of stuff that we can do to, to support them. So that's probably been the biggest challenge in the specific ways that's played out in Cambodia. I can share with you there. But um, that's, that's probably uh, been just the level of value that's placed on, on kids. Yeah. And basically for us, uh, raising two little ones on the field, they were, uh, were acculturated really fast into Latin American culture. I think their biggest struggle was coming back into U.S. culture. That was the most difficult thing for them to be able to try for a year when we had itinerate to figure out what it's like, you know, what people's interests are. They had a big world picture. The kids here tend to have a smaller world picture, that type of thing. So right. it was reverse, what they call reverse culture shock for them. Okay. And then uh, for the Alsips, what is, your pr- what is the primary struggle that you see when you minister to missionaries coming off the field? I think it's, you know, the whole gamut. But I think for all of us, and you can all relate to this as well, uh, how easy it is for us to lose our identity in Christ and be distracted by other things um, like I am what I do, I am. And in voca- if you're in vocational ministry, it's easy to identify your spirituality with what you do and then become a little bit empty spiritually because you're doing so much. The demand, the demand is so huge. It is, the needs are so beyond you that it can keep you going and going. And so sometimes we neglect what we call self-care, soul care, in the middle of all that busyness. And so uh, sometimes just getting, helping people get back on track of taking care of their hearts while they're involved in ministry. And once they do that, they experience healing and, 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 and it's the time of getting back kind of on track. So. Have you ever been experienced or confronted with violence on the field? Uh, yeah, we, um, w- we would get together once a year, the missionaries in the Middle East, to, to, um, for re- refreshment and renewal. And the MKs would all tell stories of who had the coolest like war story. Um, which may not be normal for a youth camp, but the, the kids in Lebanon going through the Civil War always had the coolest war stories, so we just kind of knew they were going to win, and they would get the free Coke um, down at the restaurant. But there was a time when um, there, we had riots in, in Egypt, and um, we, at our school, it was an international school, we had kids from 52 different countries there, and a lot of diplomats' kids were there, and um, and 
they, uh, to the point where security was important and all the money for our tennis court went to build uh, a barbed wire, a wall with barbed wire and guards with machine guns and everything. But there was one time when a riot took place and we all had to go to our designated safe house. And everyone wanted to have a safe house with U.S. Embassy kids because they got embassy food. They got Dr. Pepper, <laughs> Bubble Yum, Steakums. But we got assigned to Amoco Oil Company people, which was okay. They got food from Germany, so that was pretty good. But that was a time. But there was a plan. The school ran the plan. Uh, we were safe there until, you know, all the riot passed by our school. And God provided, and um, lots of other stories like that. But that was one that stood out in my mind, um, uh, again, because of the food involved. I mean, the, the way God protected us. Sorry, the way God protected us. <laughs> yeah, Debbie, you mentioned about the uh, all things happened in Panama while we were there. One of the things that was interesting, she, uh, I was working in my office, and she went to pick the girls up one day and from school, and I didn't realize that riots were going on. And uh, you want to say what happened? <laughs> well, um, I remember just seeing smoke all over. I mean, every, just throughout the city, you could see smoke, and plumes of smoke, dark black. And as I was on my way to pick them up, people were putting tires over the highway. And tires, truck tires, this big, were rolling in front of me, and I was dodging them to, you know, driving to pick. And they were doing that to, to make barricades and light them on fire. And that's what they were doing. And so on the way back from picking them up, and I made them lay down in the back on the floor, and on the way back, uh, I actually had to drive a different way because they had put a boxcar on the... Or, off the train tracks onto the road, and I ended up having to actually drive through one barricade that was fire. And, and I didn't know it, I heard a honk, and I go to the door, and here's my wife, and I was just oblivious, and within a half a block, there's all the fire going on. I was just totally uh, out of it. Uh, we didn't have cell phones in those days. <laughs> okay, question. How did you get started? How did you hear your call? And how do you know what to do about it? How do you get training and such? Um, I saw my um, gorgeous wife in the lobby of the hotel where the resort was, and I was called to wherever she was called. <laughs> That's basically it for me. No. <laughs> but the other answer that I tell people, uh, the more deep answer, no, is um, I, would, got, got, I felt in high school God wanted me to be a missionary in the diplomatic community and to become a diplomat because I knew how messed up those families were and I wanted to do. But then in college, I began working in summer camps for missionary kids. And it was so clear. God said, this is who I want you to, to work with. And so I switched to international education um, because there's a lot, uh, you know, you can be on the same ho family holiday schedule and, and really get to know those families and kids and, and have an impact there. So for me, it was kind of a gradual process from, from high school. But my wife, it was very definitive when she was, I think she was eight years old, um, and a missionary came, a woman spoke in her church, and she felt God said, uh, you're to be a missionary. And so she told her mom, uh, tomorrow I'm going to be a missionary and she packed her suitcase, and she was ready to leave home and wait for God to tell her where to go. And her mom intercepted her, 
at the door and said, um, well, that's fantastic. We support you. And, and we think God has told us your target place is your elementary school. <laughs> and so just be a missionary at your elementary school. And she was like, okay. And so she was a missionary to her elementary school. And that took place when she was eight. Anyone eight years old here? Any girls eight years old? Uh-oh, look out. Woohoo! Perfect age. Uh, both Debbie and I had calls as teenagers to ministry. Mine was a very strong call to missions uh, ministry. And um, it was uh, interesting that when we met at college, my call was so strong. I said, you know, this is my future. It's going to be missionary life. And she, first time we kind of talked about that in our kind of friendship. Uh, were we dating in? Even? Aww, Just friendship. Friends. She said, oh, yeah, because she said, good luck. You'll have to find someone to go with you. Yeah. And so uh, anyway, she ended up uh, being persuaded that she was the one to do that. And uh, it did take, you know, from that time, I was called the age of 17 and I think arrived on the field about 29, 30 years of age. So there is a time of preparation. There's a time of to, there's a timing of the Lord. Yes, I was ready at 17 to take my bag out and take off. Sure. But part of it is you just have to guard your heart, maintain that, knowing that God's leading you. He will open the doors for you. Prepare yourself and uh, then be obedient to the Lord. What's the best way for us to pray for you? <laughs> well, I, I think to pray for the ministry that we're a part of is, a, is a very important. I'm glad you know about it. It's one of those things that uh, sometimes people aren't aware of. I'm glad you know about it so you can pray. And we need God's wisdom as we work with missionaries and helping them in their time of healing and their time of renewal. And, um, and then, um, yeah, those are the primary ways. Debbie probably has another one. I, I would say if, uh, pray for the whole team at MRAP that we're working with, and that God will bring alongside uh, more people to help because the, the number of people that really need to come, there aren't really enough workers on the field in that area, and we need more help, just, and just also a, for discernment. Just a tidbit before we go on. Anybody want to venture a guess because this directly relates to the fact that we keep our missionaries on the field. Anyone want to venture guess? I've been on the World Missions Committee, and so have a little bit more specific information. Anybody want to venture a guess of what the cost to get a missionary from call to on the field? Anybody want to venture a guess? A lot more than that. No, a lot less than that. <laughs> It's over 100000 Anybody else? It's, it's about, and I, it's somewhere about uh, 250 I mean, we're, we're talking a large investment. By the time you think about, by the time of all the training has to happen, getting them on the field, all that they have to raise for four years to be on the field. Now, what I want you to see is the importance of, this is why we, we sometimes the, the, the monthly or the, the daily dredge gets hard to see. What I want you to see is the importance of keeping the missionary, the boots on the ground, the one that continues to come back and the Lord works through relationships and the work, Lord works through someone who's been on the field who starts to get to know someone in the uh, government, someone that gets starts, and God works through that. This is the importance, and I want you to see why it is important 
for us in the assemblies to make sure that our missionaries are well taken care of so that they stay on the field. The investment is huge to get them there. And so we're trying to be the best we can. Okay, a couple more questions. Oh, prayer. How can oh, we pray? Yeah, I think, you, you know, in general and then specific. In general, what we're able to give to people um, comes from what we're getting from God. So I would say just to pray that each missionary and, and each MK's own personal connection with God would be strong, that we would continue to seek after God every day because that's really what, what drives everything, that those divine appointments come as well. That's, that's very exciting as well. But that would be a general one. And then the specific one, you know, for us would be just a complete, God's been doing gradual healing with Noah over the years. Um, which has been very exciting. But, uh, of course, we're biased. We would just love an all-out, you know, complete healing now that he's old enough to be aware of what cool things God's doing in his life for just a, a, a complete healing for him. Okay. Do you place your kids in school or do you homeschool? And directly related, what are the religions that are predominant in your area and is there a battle to change their uh, beliefs to coming to Christ. Okay. I'll start with a good one. Then. So um, my mom was f forced to homeschool us uh, when we lived in India, which meant she did it for a day and then reported to her, to our director, that it's not working for our kids. <laughs> and uh, we've tried it and it's not working. She lasted one day. And then we went to a local British school. But actually, we're, we're open to many different options, whether it's uh, homeschooling, a traditional day school, a one-room schoolhouse, um, internet school, uh, boarding school. Um, we're open to all of those. And each of our, our mission board supports us. We have three kids. Each child could be doing a different form of education if that's the best option for each child. And that's fantastic support to have that encouragement. But since I'm at the missionary schools as part of my portfolio of ministry, what I do, our kids get to go to school at the traditional day school for MKs for free. And so most likely they will be there unless they have me as a teacher. Then they might want to homeschool. Or <laughs> but no, so we're, we're very uh, uh, open to that. But plan A, who knows what we'll end up with, plan A is to go to a traditional day school. And then the, what was the second one? What was the Go second ahead. question? Sorry. Uh, well, there it was. was uh, oh, well, the uh, religions. Predominant. Yeah. Yeah. So Malaysia, oh, Cambodia has been uh, almost ninety percent Buddhist, and but very animist. Like they still worship spirits, and daily life is about you know uh, one demon attacking and all that kind of stuff. But it's supposed to be on you know uh, Buddhist, but it's very animist. Malaysia is sixty percent Muslim. So the government is Muslim, but they also have a lot of Chinese religions, and then they have Hinduism, because the British during the colonial days brought uh, Indian folk uh, over, mostly from Tamil Nadu, to live there. And so we have a variety of, of uh, religions all mixed together, but the predominant religion is Islam. Yeah, and, and go to the religion first, and Latin America, primarily Catholicism was the influence in Latin America. Although it's interesting, like a place like Panama City, you have the Muslim mosque, you have Buddhist influences, but not on a big scale. And then um, our children basically were, we lived in cities where they were able to attend international schools, where it would be with uh, diplomats, kids, and um, you know, people in gov uh, government, as well as in businesses. So that was an opportunity they had to be in international schools.
okay? Uh, what is the strangest thing you've ever seen on the field? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think I've had that question. Strangest experience Whoa. or things you've seen? Well, it was odd watching my two boys argue over who got to eat the main body of the spider. Never thought I'd experience that. Um, wow. You know, okay, growing up on the, on the, on the weird side, which gave me a, a desire to, which was first understanding that, that Jesus was an amazing thing, I was a six-year-old, and we went through the Temple of Kali in Calcutta, and I felt Hinduism, and I felt this uh, darkness, and, and I knew that, that Jesus, I understood that there was Jesus and there was darkness, and one was victorious over the other, and I felt it, and I'll never forget that feeling. But one of the most amazing experiences um, on, the, on the happier side was um, waking up to the sunrise on top of Mount Sinai while Dad was reading to us the story of Moses uh, in Egypt, you know, in, in middle school. That was like, whoa, this is cool. <laughs> that was like one of the, I mean, we were up high, but that was definitely a highlight as well. Just, uh, I've, it's hard for me, so many neat experiences, it's hard for me to think about it, but uh, I'll just give you kind of a, a gross one here. Um, I worked for, I worked, Debbie and I worked closely with the Kuna tribe in our original uh, time in Panama, and the Kuna tribe are on the Atlantic coast, they're very colorful people, and uh, we had made inroads into them, but one of the things I had to learn was how to share hospitality with them. They have something called chicha de maíz, which is a, would be translated corn drink, but the corn drink is made by elderly women sitting around chewing corn and then spitting it back into a common pot. <laughs> one thing I had to learn is that's allowed to ferment. You can smell it about 20 feet away if you're there. But one of the things I had to learn was you never refuse chicha the maíz when you come into the village. And so uh, I had to learn how to be very tactful in uh, receiving chicha de maíz, fermented corn chewed by elderly women of the community. And it, I didn't see it on the menu at Holy Mocha. <laughs> it, it could be. <laughs> how many would like to add that to the... <laughs> All right. Um, what, what is the ways that you communicate to your family, to grandchildren, to people back home when you're on the field? Well, when I started out, you know, we would, uh, we would, my parents would draw around our foot, you know, outline of our foot, and, um, and put that together with a page from the Sears Roebuck catalog into an envelope that might take three to six months, by which time our feet wouldn't fit the shape uh, for, for family to try to send something over to us. Sometimes things arrived a year later. Um, but, uh, you know, now it's, you know, it's fantastic to be able to, to do things like with, with Skype um, and to be able to communicate regularly that way and through, through email. And, um, and then uh, travel is a little bit easier but thankfully in our family you know I have my brother who does international work and he comes regularly to visit grandparents whether they are pleased that we took their grandkids away from them or not um, which is a huge thing have come out to visit 
and we've prayed that everything would go great while they were there, you know, um, except my, yeah, my father-in-law, we got flooded out, and, but he still had a lot of fun driving our speed light truck out of the floodwaters. Um, so there's more opportunity. Thankfully, the world's a little bit smaller to be able to come and visit and have that context of what, for grandparents, what their grandkids are going through. And they still love us, too, as their kids, but, you know, grandparent and grandkid connection is very strong. Uh, I remember my mother used to make cassette tapes for our children um, and read books. And then she'd say, turn the page, turn the page. And so for years, my girls would say, turn the page, <laughs> just like grandma when, when I would read a book. Yeah, we don't have to worry about doing that now, so do we? <laughs> and uh, so how about with grandkids? You guys get a chance to Skype with grandkids? Well, do you get we're, a, we're oh, based you're, here. You're here. We're based now. here, so... But did uh, you? Were you on the field when... Did you uh, get a chance? grandkids came, before grandkids came, but our girls were married before we, uh, yeah, okay. came back. And okay. thankfully, we had email then, so that right. was nice. So a little bit that made a big difference. Remember, we've talked about that, that these tools that we so quick, don't, let, let, let's not, uh, I know that there are lots of things that are happening that are wrong with a lot of these tools. Use them for God's glory, and, and they can be a lot more effective, amen? So God's given them to us as tools. Let's use them for good to build one another up in Christ and bless one another with them, amen? Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to pray over our missionaries, but I'd like our, our uh, ushers to come. This is the deal with our missionaries that are coming this week. We're going to allow you a time to give to them today. We also have, and I want to announce this, you have on your table there, that we're going to have two other missionaries that are coming Wednesday. They are coming specifically to deal in the area of media. One is specifically coming to, to talk about doing ministry on the web, how he reaches people on the web. The other one is dealing with actually creating TV shows, broadcast shows that reach people for Christ. This is an incredible tool for Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, even if you don't normally come on Wednesday, would you make sure you're here Wednesday? You're going to hear some great things about, again, what God is doing around the world. But we want to give you a chance to give uh, in any of the, what is collected in this offering and Wednesday night's offering will go to help set, offset traveling costs and things for our missionaries coming in to talk about what God is doing around the world so please consider giving as the Lord enables you, and let's pray over our missionaries today. Lord, so much.